moments where we can just be human. When we feel we don't have to be on cue, on stage, and just to be us. And I thank you, Lord, for us. I thank you, Lord, for just moments of, of joy and laughter, moments of tears and sorrow, and everything in between. I rejoice, Lord, in this body. I rejoice, Lord, that uh, you are always with us. And Lord, I pray that this message will be pleasing to you, that your anointing would be upon me to bring it to your people for your glory and your honor. And Lord, I believe that in any message that we might hear, that if the Holy Spirit is moving in us and we seek him and his truth, Lord, that we might find something in a message that we, we can take with us and we can embrace in our lives to bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I guess I'm praying for mercy too because in one side of my mouth I have a, a breath thing and the other side of my mouth I have a cough drop. So this is going to be extremely interesting. This was not in seminary. They say put a cough drop in your mouth or whatever and then see what you can do with it. But we're talking about the closeness of God. That's our series. And ever remember back in the days maybe when you were watching TV or it was at night and then suddenly the power goes out and everything just seems so black. I mean, everything just goes out. And you know your house. You can, you know, close your eyes and kind of move around very gently and find oh, where the end table is, where the couch is, or whatever. But so the lights go out. It seems like when, the, when it becomes so dark, then suddenly, for momentarily, panic sets in. We're going for the candles. We're going for the flashlight. We're going for something. So as we're looking, as we're uh, stumbling through the darkness, we might hit the chair. We know it's there, but we want to try to cushion the blow and say, well, I'm going to kind of shuffle gently because I don't want to bang my toe into the chair. We finally get to the goal, the candle. Then we're searching for matches to light the candle. So we're thumbing around looking for the matches. We know it's here. It's in the cupboard somewhere on the left-hand side. Finally, we light the candles and we can see there's light. You know, but oftentimes in darkness, we kind of lose our balance, don't we? We lose our sense of direction. Some people lose their equilibrium. They just kind of just kind of phase out. And that because we have lost, a, in a sense, any point of reference. We all need points of reference. So my point here today, what I'm going to talk about is that if we don't, if Jesus is not our point of reference every day, we will be walking in spiritual darkness. We need Christ every minute, every second of the day. People say to you, well, you're a, G a Jesus freak, or you're too religious, then praise God for that. Because that's who you are. 
And one day, one day you're going to be with your Jesus and you'll be darn proud that you're a Jesus freak, as they say today. Amen and amen. Now, I want to first look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul said, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. Paul says we demonstrate a faith commitment by presenting our bodies as what? As living sacrifices to Christ and not to conform to the ways of this world. That is so hard to do, isn't it? But you look at the, uh, the word world here in verse 2, is not simply referring to this physical world because as believers in Jesus Christ, we are, have the unique privilege to not only live in this present time where we can, we can see, we can feel, we can have all the senses, we know that we are alive, but we are also recipients of the age to come. Herein lies the thrill of Christian living. Do you know what I'm saying? That's the thrill of Christian living. We are already, I've said that many times, but not yet. We're in this world, but God is preparing us for the next life. And you know, we cannot escape death. It just, it looms, it's here. That's the number one enemy is death. And talking with Maria this week about her father, and one of the things that I ask, and I ask always when I'm talking with people that have lost a loved one, is, was your loved one a believer? And boy, when you hear the word yes, what a relief that is. You know, Juan, Maria's father, passed away this week. And the moment he took his last breath on this earth, he went to be with his Lord. And as much as we would like to think that a loved one would like to come back, or we want them to come back, I, don't, I do not wish your father to be back. Because he's in his glory. And I, I firmly believe this. I can't find it in the Bible. But from what I read, my understanding is why would he want to come back? Why would he want to come back to this when he's experiencing glory? You see, that's, that's the, uh, the, the thrill of living the Christian life that we can live the life abundantly here today as we go in Christ, knowing that one day we will be with him forever. It is natural for young people not to be thinking about these things. And rightfully so. 
You have so much of life ahead of you. But there's something about the faith that reminds us that we need to flow both sides into everyday life. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. Because like Juan, we are just passing through. We are passing through on our way, on our way to the heavenly promised land. That's it. That's why we live. That's why we move. That's why we have our being in Christ. God is preparing us for that moment when all of us will have that moment when we will pass from this life into the next life. Then comes judgment. Now, this is not a fire and brimstone message, but I think it's so important for us to grasp that. You know, I look, if you follow the flow of life and so forth, you probably look at your slightly, slightly white-haired pastor and his wife. We're closer to that side than you are. But don't kid yourself. Okay? I'll just leave it at that. Don't wait. I told, just don't wait till you think, well, I don't know. I got, I'm playing the back nine, so I better be thinking about God more. We need to think about him each and every day. Amen? And amen. All right. I kind of lost you on the last part there, but, but that's okay. Nobody's perfect. Um, I look at verse, verse 2. Then you will, then you will be able listen to this, to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Christian living involves seeking his will. For many, the will of God is as confusing as a good mystery story. But those who sincerely, listen, those who sincerely seek God's will will find it. If you're seeking God's will, you will find it. You don't have to look in a textbook or go to a seminary or listen to a scholar to try to try find God's will. You will find his will if you are looking for it. But this requires one thing, surrender to Christ. You can't know God's will if you're not in Christ. I mean, how does that work? I, I can't, unless I'm missing something in the Bible, it doesn't work that way. It starts with surrender to Jesus Christ, seeking him, being faithful to him, drawing closer to him. We will know God's will because by doing so, we are taking on the mind of Christ. You know, the Holy Spirit living in us reminds us that as we seek Christ, we are actually taking on his mind in our lives. Isn't that comforting to know that? Well, it is for me. Um, so, I'm going to look at my first thought is, that's just intro. And, and Dewey said, well, it's got to get better than this. Well, that was just the intro. We'll see how this goes. Number one, Jesus is our reference point. Now, John the Baptist made it clear who should be our reference point. So, we're going to go to John chapter 3, verses 28 and 30. Now, you can read that whole chapter there about John, but to me, he really sets up. Who is to be first? 
John said, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy, John said, is mine and, now is, com- and is now complete. He, referring to Jesus, must be, become greater. I must become less. In the New Testament analogy, Jesus is the bridegroom. And the church, us, we're what? We are the bride. Bridegroom, bride. Now, this is important because John used the illustration that Jesus was the promised bridegroom. And so what was John's role? He was like at a wedding. John was like the best man. He was Jesus' friend, the best man. And his role, his job, his ministry was to take the bride, so to speak, to the bridegroom. In other words, you know, you go to a wedding, uh, the, the pastor says to the, to the uh, best man, you know, the ring. You know, if he doesn't have it in his pocket or whatever, you know, sometimes the, the best man will have the ring to present, to put on the finger of the bride. In a sense, he does that, and then what does he do? He gets out of the way. That was John said, listen, I need to get out of the way here. The bridegroom has come, and he's come for his bride, the church. So I must become less. He must become great because he's the Messiah. See, this is so, so interesting because that's how we are to look at Christ. In a sense, through the eyes of John the Baptist, I must become less, and he must become greater. How unfortunate it is when, how often we see spiritual leaders handle success, power, so arrogantly. And we've seen this happen. I'm not going to throw anybody on the bus, but we've seen this happen often with mega churches or what have you, or it can happen sometimes in smaller churches. I don't know if I was talking with, uh, with Dewey, whatever, but last week, and I'm going to be careful what I say, but I found it very, just very interesting. See how you feel. Is um, I was in a town ministering, and uh, one of the pastors from the community came to visit me. You know, we kind of do that as a gesture, welcome to the brother in the ministry or whatever. But it's kind of interesting because that pastor just met him, been in this church for probably two weeks. He'd been in the community for probably 15, 20 years. And I got the very distinct impression he was trying to tell me how to minister in my church or the church God has called me to. Now, that bothered me just a little bit. But I thought of that. I thought, hmm, he left. Well, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. And I thought to myself, in my sin, 
how in the world does he know it's best for this church? Well, he kind of told me he does because he's been in the community for 20 years or so. And then, no, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be cool. I go to his church, and right in the foyer, as you walk in, is a big oil painting of the pastor. Now, that made me think again. Am I being too picky or petty? Or what is wrong with this picture? <laughs> you, know, you know, what is wrong with this? You know, but you know, the thing is, so many people, they gravitate to the pastor or they gravitate to that ministry, you know, and there's nothing wrong with, with really affirming a pastor or whatever, but it becomes a problem when you become obsessed with that pastor or want to imitate that leader in that church. You see what I'm saying? You know, there is that part of us of, of we need to, we need to just be, be cool on how we elevate any kind of leadership. That happens a lot, by the way, in smaller communities. You know, we've got people living in Salmonock or Earlville or whatever. Uh, when I was in Piper City, my first church, the people tend to elevate the pastor. You know, oh, the pastor and the pastor's wife. You know, and, and so they kind of put them on some kind of a pedestal and... That always made me extremely uncomfortable, you know, because I know that's not the way it's supposed to be. But we tend to do that. Nothing wrong with respect. Obviously, we need that. But we just need to keep those things in perspective. John said in verse 30, again, he, referring to Jesus, must become greater. I, John, must become less. We can put our own names into that one that we are to become less. John was to become less in order to make Jesus greater. Understood. Friends, nothing should be left out of Jesus' control in our life. Nothing should be left out of his control. Not even our fears. Your greatest fear should not be left out of Jesus' control. Your dreams, Jesus should not be left out of your dreams. Your career choice, your relationships, your heartaches, your pain, and even what? Your finances. That is it. For most Christians, they can talk and feel comfortable talking about how God is, is moving in their lives and Jesus is in control of their lives. But sometimes silence begins when you talk about their finances. You know, God, I love you. God, I want to follow you, but don't mess with my finances. No, don't go there. That's my territory. That's my stuff. It's not. It's not. You know, we're talking about, you know, life after this life. You know, I said before, have you ever seen in a funeral procession a U-Haul following the hearse? You can't take it with you. You know, you come in naked and you go out the same way. God is not overly impressed with our portfolio, but he's looking at how we, how we use it. That's what impresses God. How we use what he's given us that is rightfully his. Amen? 
I don't know how we're doing here. We're trying really hard. Um, We've been blessing this church. We had a board meeting last week, and we talked about finances. Chris was there. Chris presenting our finances. Sue was not there. She was supposed to be, but she was tardy. Only kidding. <laughs> uh, and and we were really taught, we were blessed because God has blessed this church so abundantly for for our size. And. And that, that's because of you, how God has convicted you to give to his church. So that's, that's a wonderful thing. And it's also as a reminder for all of us individually in our own lives that we cannot outgive God. We've tried, and we can't. And... So we have come personally to, we don't worry about finances. I'm, I'm telling you, this is not, you can call me stupid or whatever, but if you put a gun to my head right now and you said, how much money do you have in your wallet? I'd have to say, you better start pulling the trigger because I have no idea. Now, Jan does. Because uh, she puts it in my wallet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I don't know. That's, I don't know. That's wrong. Maybe, maybe we need marriage counseling. I don't know. Uh, but my point of all this, I don't believe it or not. I don't care. Isn't that terrible? That's it. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying that for me, money has never been my number one goal. And that doesn't mean because I said this should be yours. I'm not saying that just for me, you know, because God has always supplied all of our needs, and he does. And, and so I carry that on into my life, into my ministry, saying we don't have to worry. You know, how many times, right, Chris? $19 we had left over in the bank, that's it. You know, and some churches, they don't even, they don't even let the congregation know how much money they have in the budget. We have what, 20? I'm saying it, 21,000, let's say $21,000. $21,000 we have in our church funds. Compare that to $19 made, what, three, four years ago. Praise God for that. That's God at work. God doing miracles in our church. So what, therefore, why should we worry about finances here, right? We got a, a furnace right now that's what, not working correctly? We got another one over there that's crippled. So we're down to what? We have six furnaces here. We've replaced what, three of them? So we got three more to go. But guess what? God's going to supply that need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I don't worry about that for a second. I don't. What do you have in your wallet, Denny? I don't know. Good for you. But I know. Isn't that amazing? God is so good. I can't say that enough. He is so, 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 so faithful. If we just release ourselves to him, those areas that we really struggle with, 
Jan struggled with this area of finances for years. And boy, oh boy, you know, it was really, I mean, I'm not picking on Jan, but it was some tough times wedging anything out of her financially. But now God has so convicted her, she's like me. I don't know if that's good, but she's like me. And it's like, oh, well, we have, we, we not, hey, please hear what I'm saying. This is not about how good the pastor's wife are, but we have learned, we share this with our friends, that we are, they, sometimes they think we're a little bit different. I can't imagine they think that, but sometimes they do, because financially, we just give it to the Lord. We give everything to him and let him work it out for his glory, and he's blessed us because of that. And he wants to bless all of us here today with that same kind of faith, walk with him financially. So if you're struggling financially, whatever it is for you, you know, then give it to the Lord. Believe me, he is a better accountant than anyone or CPA you can find anywhere in this world. And he will help you straighten those things out if you seek him first. And when you do that, you'd be amazed how he can, what he can do in your finances. Isn't that true? Amen. Some amen. Be amazed what he can do. And you know what I'm talking about. God is so faithful. Amen. Number two. We're on number two. We have three points. Drawing, drawing near to God. John 15, 5 through 8. Very familiar passage to us. You had to read the whole chapter, John 15. He talks about the branches and the fruit and, and so on and so forth. But here's what he said in John 15, 5 through 8. I'm the vine, Jesus said, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Do you realize today that if you picked up, if you looked into your, your um, I'm just discovering the world of the Internet. I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't know if that's a bad thing, but for me, you know, I can go from anywhere from looking for real detailed things to kind of trivia things. I can just go to the email or whatever. And, and uh, so I was looking, I was curious. Hmm, I haven't heard in a while what the average church worship attendance is. And it depends on what site you go to. But the one that seems to me is, mo is most accurate is we're hoovering around less than uh, the average church attendance is uh, 80, 80 people or less. The smaller church is becoming the larger church in a big hurry. And those figures are changing dramatically. Now, some people think ministering in a small church, how can you bear fruit in a small church? There's only X amount of people there, whatever the case might be. But you know something? It doesn't matter that when you're doing God's will, it doesn't matter if you have a church of 20, if you're a church of 20,000, if you're doing his will, then you are producing the fruit that he wants you to produce. 
make any sense to you? There's not any for better than others. You know, there really isn't, in my view. Now, yes, yes, Saturday they had the women's, uh, what do you call it, women's uh, con uh, conference or whatever, morning, I'm going to call it retreat. Can I use that word? Okay. And I heard good things. Jan does talk to me about the church. And I said, how'd it go? She said, oh. She said, Becca and Levi, is that name Levi? Good. And she said, uh, Sue, you can close your ears on this one. She said, Sue's message was really, really outstanding. That's Christians bearing fruit for Christ. And it doesn't have to be the big mega church. It doesn't have to be the church of 300. It starts here. You people are fruit bearers for Jesus Christ. And that is, that, that's what Jesus is talking about. It doesn't matter. Sometimes we want to qualify these things, but it doesn't, small church, big church, it doesn't matter at all. Amen? So, the main truth of Jesus' teaching in this parable is the importance of abiding in him in all things. Jesus is saying, are you abiding in me in your life? Are you abiding in me in your decisions that you have to make? Are you abiding in me in your finances? Are you abiding in me in your relationship? Are you abiding in, in me? And that is what he's talking about here. We can't go and serve him and bear fruit for his glory if we are not abiding in Christ. Didn't he? He said that in verse, what, uh, verse 5. He said, I'm the vine, and you're the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you could do nothing. The fruit Jesus was talking about was producing the fruit of his character in serving him. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit that we are called to bear for him. I can tell you right, hand, right now firsthand that... About uh, Mike and Katie, the hands. They are great examples of what I just talked about here. They are bearing fruit by ministering to Kathy and Terry. If you guys are listening, close your ears. They are bearing Jesus' fruit because they love their parents, and they love their Lord. This is what they're called to do. Bear fruit for them. Serve them. Be for them. That's what we're talking about here. And, and I, to me, that is one of the greatest examples of fruit bearing. This cannot happen without applying Jesus' word. You can't abide and do bear uh, fruit for Christ if you're not really in his word. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Therefore, the only way to produce a strong spiritual life is to draw near in obedience to Jesus Christ. I left one verse, sent verse out, verse 7. That one is almost another topic in itself. Number 7. You with me? Okay. Just ask anything and God will give it to you. 
Oh, my goodness, have we gone all down rabbit trails with that one. But you have to listen to what he's saying. If you look at the word of God, it all says when you are seeking Christ and seeking his word, then he will respond to your needs according to what? According to his word. His will, will will be done according to his word. So if you're asking for that Cadillac or that Escalade, whatever in your, in your parking, in your driveway, you're probably not going to get it. God will answer your prayers according to his word because you know why? Then you are in his will. And if I'm in God's will, then I'm not going to ask for selfish things. I mean, I'm not. And you won't either. So you know what I'm talking about. Amen? I just wanted to say that and to stop right there because for some people it's very difficult. You know, you really need to talk about the different paths that can go, you know, that, that can take you. So, I was thinking of something. I just a thought. And sometimes it just happens. Where, where does his mind go? Now talking about that oil painting, the pastor. I thought of something here. What if, Rudy, what if I do this? When we leave this church, instead of the oil painting, how about if I get a mohawk, okay? And, I, and I, we, we take my mohawk, I shave that mohawk off, and you could have my white hair, and you could put it in a nice glass case, display case. You like that already? Which part? Okay. All right. Number three. <laughs> you caught that one. I know. This is terrible, isn't it? Finding our spiritual reference point. James 4, 7 through 10. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Then he says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. James gives five steps in finding our spiritual reference point. And briefly, I'm going to give them to you. The first one is verse 7. Submit yourselves to God. Submitting is really yielding to Jesus' authority. When we yield to Jesus' authority, and then that second part of verse 7 comes into play. That's how we resist the devil. If we are in Christ and seeking him, we still get hammered by the devil, but we can overcome him through the word, overcome him through our faith in Jesus Christ. So they kind of go together. Number two, verse eight, first part. Come near to God, we talked about that earlier, and he will come near to you. This is the context of submitting to God. Drawing nearer to God as he draws near to us is knowing, is knowing that God himself is always ready to respond with his love, his grace, and his understanding. And step number three, the last part of eight, wash your, your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is an appeal to our outward 
lifestyle, our conduct, our hearts, our motives must be pure and must be consistent with Christ's teachings and his character. There should be no hypocrites in the church. How many times have we heard that, or I've heard that? I don't go to church because the hypocrites go to church. Well, we could probably banter and talk about that one all day long. But there's something to be said about honesty in your heart. If I'm sincerely seeking the Lord, that's going to come out in my actions. If you are seeking the Lord sincerely, that's going to come out in your actions because you want to please him. Amen? Hear what I'm saying? Number four, verse nine, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. This is in reference to true heartfelt repentance for our sins not giving him lip service. It doesn't do you any good to ask God to forgive you when you're not really there and you're not really true and ask him for that true forgiveness. Those are just words and he knows it. So when you come before the Lord and you truly are seeking forgiveness and repentance, he will honor that. He listens, but he won't listen to the lies. You know, if we're not true, then he's going to know it. So my thing is, if God knows all, then if I'm not really, well, Lord, forgive me because I did this. Forgive me because I did that. Forgive me. Ho-hum, ho-hum. You know, sometimes we got to get on our knees. We have to cry. Have you ever done that? Have you ever really went to your knees in repentance for something that God or the Spirit has laid on your heart? That's wonderful. For me, it is. I've had that happen to me many, many times. Where, oh, man. I, then it just really hits me that I've, I've dishonored my Lord. So true repentance is so, is so important. And number 10, verse 10, number, step 5, verse 10. Humble yourselves before God, and he will lift you up. This my friends, I believe it is the act of, put, of being spirit-filled. How can we humble ourselves without the power of God within us? We can't. As a matter of fact, you can't do all of these steps without the power of God within you. So when the power of God is in us, then the Bible says, then he said in verse 10, what? Then he will lift you up. He will lift you up. God delights when we submit and yield to him, God delights when we draw near to him. God delights when we seek to live each and every day in Christ, that our outward appearance reflects our inward faith in him. He delights when we come before him in sincere repentance and sorrow for our sins. God delights when we come before him and we humble ourselves. Right at the cross, we humble ourselves. That's when the Bible says, he will lift us up. God delights to lift us up. 
empowering, guiding us to become more like Christ. That's what happens when Jesus is our reference point. That's what God wants. If God had one thing he put on his list of wants, that would be it. That Jesus Christ be our reference point. Ah, is Jesus your reference point? You struggle with that? You know, if you are, if you don't really, then just go to him. Go to your Lord and ask him to help you. If you are struggling in any of these areas, go to your Lord. Ask him to help you be that person that he wants you to be. And that is putting Jesus first every day in your life. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you so much. I thank you, Lord, for, oh, Lord, so many things. I thank you. I do, Lord, thank you for laughter. I thank you for joy. I thank you for moments when, when we're serious and, and everything in between. But most of all, Lord, I just thank you for being our Lord and Savior, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, that you do delight in us. And, Lord, help us to be humble. Help us through your Holy Spirit to be humble. And, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that is confused about the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you will touch their hearts and minds, that they might understand what it means to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. To be filled with his love and presence and power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And before, before we sing, um, there will be prayer, you know, after if you need prayer. For those of you that aren't familiar or understand what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then just come to the prayer table. The people that pray at that table they are very faith and very knowledgeable. They will help you walk through that. If you don't want to do that, then please come to me. I'll be more than happy to talk to you about what it means to be spirit-filled and be baptized in the Holy Spirit.